I'm your host. I'm Kara Carincefeli, and on this podcast, we talk about diet culture, disordered eating, eating disorders, health at every size, fat positivity, body acceptance, and several other topics. And today we have an awesome guest with us. Her name is Therese Roser, and she's a stay-at-home mom with a master's degree in social work. And she has a lot of art supplies and a bone to pick with our culture's ideas regarding health, beauty, and wellness. She's been recovered from an eating disorder for several years and began making collages as protest art as a way to talk back to diet culture and reaffirm her own recovery. And in January 2018, she decided to share her art on Instagram under the name Healing Crayons. So... If you are not following her, you're definitely going to want to follow her after this interview. I think you should just follow her in general because her artwork, her collages as a form of protest against diet culture are fantastic and she creates them based on her own lived experience. So they are incredibly relatable. They're so relatable. And in this podcast episode today, we talk about intersectional feminism and what that means. We talk about having a child with disabilities. We talk about relapsing from our eating disorders. We talk about overcoming the fear of weight gain and how internalized fat phobia and the fear of gaining weight is one of the leading drivers of disordered eating and eating disorders and why it's so hard for us to recover and make peace with food because we're afraid of gaining weight. And we also talk about her artwork and we talk about different pieces and the inspiration behind them, which is really cool. And we also talk about the programming that we as women face in society about our body image, about beauty, and about thinness. And we talk about being the change. And while she was speaking about these things, I realized how perfect Embodied Rebel, the online course that Brandel and Tebow and I just created, how uh, Embodied Rebel is like the perfect solution if you are caught up in that. It teaches you how to rebel against the programming. It teaches you how to deprogram yourself such that you are no longer someone who hates your body, is afraid of weight gain, who has internalized fat phobia, who is caught up in these beauties, beauty ideals and looking a certain way. And it really teaches you how to free yourself. And then you become a conduit for change. By you freeing yourself, you then liberate other people. So if you are struggling with your body image, with weight gain with the narratives in society, I invite you to go enroll in Embodied Rebel. It's a self-paced online course. You can go through it on your own time. It's Christmas break and New Year's break, so hopefully you'll have some time to do that now. But I really encourage you to enroll in Embodied Rebel if those are things that you're struggling with. So there's a link in in the show notes, and there's also a link in my Instagram profile under Kara's Kitchen on Instagram. You'll see that. So it's like the perfect solution to become a rebel against these programs that make us hate ourselves and develop disordered eating and poor body image uh, in society. So be sure to go check that out if that interests you. I think it's a phenomenal resource, and I'm really proud of what Brandilyn and I created. And on that note, also, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, whatever it is that you're celebrating. This is coming out on Christmas Day. I'm recording this intro a few days beforehand. Happy holidays to you. And I know that the holidays can be a difficult time for some of us, myself included, just being a child of divorce and stuff. My family's never together. And um, I want to send you some love. And I want to let you know you're not alone. And on the other hand, if you're someone who loves the holidays and they're an amazing time for you, that's 
that's awesome and I'm so happy. Wherever you are, I want you to know that I love you. I'm thinking about you. And I hope that you get a lot out of today's podcast interview. If you are struggling with your relationship with food and your body image, I feel like it's very relatable. And I think you're going to feel heard and understood. And yeah, without further ado, let's get on into it. Therese, thank you so much for coming on the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Oh, same here. Thank you so much for having me, Kara. Yeah. Okay, so let's just dive right in. So one of my favorite quotes is, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all of the difference in my life. And that's by Steve Jobs. So Therese, can you connect the dots for us? What led you to where you are now, making the most incredible art on Instagram as a way to protest against diet culture? Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Um, So I, you know, honestly, I probably would not have started making diet culture artwork had I not, um, you know, struggled with an eating disorder in my past. So when I was about 14 years old, you know, and in my history, um, I had a lot of separation anxiety. I struggled with depression. Um, and I'm 43. So back then, and you know, and I, I'm from Wisconsin, um, adolescent mental health was not sort of at the forefront of everybody's uh, attention. You know, there wasn't a lot of information out there. And I kind of had to muddle through it. I didn't really get a lot of help. Um, you know, and I think too, there was, there was a lot of shame, you know, in families too, about having your child see somebody and what did that mean? And what did that mean about the parents and that sort of stuff? So, um, I kind of plotted along and, you know, in, in sort of a way to, I don't know, maybe employ some self care. Um, I developed an eating disorder, you know, as a way to kind of manage the anxiety and, the sadness because when I started sort of tracking food and, you know, um, compulsively exercising, it really kind of made some of my anxiety go away. And it, I felt less depressed because I had something to focus on and, you know, just had, um, something I felt like I could be good at. Like I started getting compliments on how I ate and my weight loss. So, you know, I, I struggled really acutely with my eating disorder from high school, you know, into college, and then, you know, was sort of, uh, you know, kind of recovering, um, sort of reached this place where I felt like, okay, I'm recovered enough. I'm recovered, but I'm healthy, you know, which I think a lot of people get stuck in. And, um, you know, the eating disorder wasn't, wasn't always quite active, but it was in the wings always. And, you know, and I, you know, as people do, you go through things in life. Um, and I really, I had like a relapse or reoccurrence of my eating disorder in my early thirties when my second child was born. Um, and I very quickly realized that I did not want to be the kind of parent that passed on a legacy of self-loathing you know, to her kids. I didn't want to be a parent that taught her kids how to diet or how to feel less than or how to try to be something that they're not. And, you know, I have been recovered now for several years and I started making this artwork as, 
you know, kind of as a way to put a different message out there into the world. I, you know, I just feel like we're bombarded with messages about health and wellness and beauty and, you know, clean eating and, you know, what, it, you know, and sort of the moralizing around it. And I felt like, you know, I really want to make, um, make something that just says that that's absolute total crap. And you know, and I thought I'm going to put it on Facebook or not Facebook, sorry, I'm going to put it on Instagram and I'm going to see, you know, is this helpful for other people? Do other people, you know, sort of feel the same way I do? And surprisingly, they, um, they really do. So that's kind of, so again, I don't think I would have ended up, you know, doing this stuff if, you know, my life hadn't taken me the way it took me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's interesting how you had mentioned that your eating disorder was always kind of in the wings, but in some ways was a little dormant in your twenties and then it resurfaced again. So I'm curious before I dive into asking you questions about your artwork, which I'm really excited about. I'd love to know, what do you think had it resurface and go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So, um, when my, uh, second child was born, so 11 years ago, um, she was six months old and my three-year-old was diagnosed with autism. Mm. And that just sort I just sort of felt like the bottom fall out, you know, um, I was completely surprised, you know, I, I knew that there were some delays and some things, but I thought like, Oh, it can't be autism, you know? And it was this whole, um, entrance into a new world, you know, this world of, um, taking, you know, workshops and reading books and making appointments with specialists and joining support group and, um, you know, navigating the school system and just really trying to be a mom to a kid that now, you know, specialists were telling me like, no, you can't do this. You need to parent them this way, or you need to speak to them this way, or, you, you know, so, um, I think I felt really out of control and I think the, you know, it was like, I had those feelings and it was like a tidal wave and the feeling was, okay, Therese, um, you really have to get your pre-baby body back. Like that was going to fix it all. I know I knew it wasn't going to fix it all, but that was sort of the like, okay, if I can get back into the old clothes, it's all going to be fine. And, you know, it wasn't, I mean, that was just sort of like a smoke screen and yeah. Mm, Thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. And I think this is a really important message for those listening that often our eating disorders are coping mechanisms. So you alluded to it being a way to find control when you were younger. It was a way uh, by having something to focus on. It it took away some of your other anxieties and how you had this new experience arise with your son in your thirties that again made you feel out of control and, and was this whole new experience that you had to navigate. And I, I have, I know that I felt that way. Like, Oh, if I just get thin, like everything will be okay. Or if I just get the six pack. And I think it's so easy to think that, that that is going to solve our problems. So I, why do you think that it's so easy for us to make our body the scapegoat? Hmm. Good question. Um, I mean, I think part of it goes back to the old sort of beliefs around women. Like, you know, if you look good, everything is good. If things look fine on the outside, the inside will catch up. It's a little fake until you make it maybe. 
Um, but also the body is something that you can control. You can't always control the emotions. You can't always control, you know, the other people around you, right? The situation in the world, but by God, I can be effective at mapping out, you know, what kind of portioning out, what kind of meal I'm going to have and da, 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 you know, spending X minutes on X exercise machine. You know, that is something that I think gives, you know, a lot of order and a lot of comfort to somebody when they're feeling like, you know, they're in a tailspin. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with needing a coping mechanism. I think we're human beings and we need coping mechanisms. And in, some, and in some ways, our eating disorders are there for us when we right. don't know how else to deal with what we're going through. So in some ways, at least in my experience, and it sounds like maybe you too, that we can be grateful for it being there, but also getting to a place where we realize that it's actually not helping us. Right. Well, like it's just, you know, yes, it's your way to help yourself, although it's completely maladaptive, right? So, you know, it kind of ends up, you know, it ends up and it, you know, bites you back, but it, it is that first thing that you kind of, you know, you cultivate yourself. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely maladaptive. So, so when you decided that you were going to start making artwork, were you aware of like the very large anti-diet community online already? Or were you not really active in that? I, you know, I, a little bit because I really loved, I started listening to Christy Harrison pretty early on and kind of, and you know, she just sort of like opened me up to, you know, the whole anti-diet world you know, Jessamine Stanley and Jess Baker and, you know, all the, Linda Bacon, all the great people that she had, you know, interviewed. Evelyn Tripoli, of course, but there, but there's something about, you know, she's so, like, she's a scientist in a way, right? I mean, you know, she is, she's a dietitian. She also worked in journalism. Um, but I did not realize that people would like the artwork so much. That was the thing, like, right? Like, I don't have like the cold hard facts, but I have, okay. I mean, I am, I do have a master's degree in social work. I'm a social worker as well, but it's really, I'm speaking more from my own lived experience, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Which is probably why it's so relatable. I get, yeah, probably, <laughs> right. I mean, I have my N of one, like this is, you know, I have my data on myself pretty much, but. Yeah, so what had you decide to make art? Wow. Oh, I love yeah. making art. I've love always, making art. Okay. yes, that's always been sort of one of my go-tos. Um, you know, as a kid, loved painting, drawing, yeah, just being sort of craftsy. And um, so it started out, I found an old journal um, that I loved, you know, I loved the cover of it. It was beautiful. But when I opened it up, it had like old workouts, sort of like a workout of the day, um, like a CrossFit-y type. And I thought, God, you know, I hate doing these workouts. I'm never going to do them again, but I don't, I really don't want to throw away this journal because I really like it. And it was bound. So I realized if I tore the pages out, it would kind of destroy the binding on it. So, um, I started collaging over it, um, over the workouts kind of with anti-fitspo. That's what I call it. You know, it's like what my first collages were. And that's how it started. I started taking pictures of it and putting it on Instagram. Wow. Yeah. yeah so cool. I mean, I know that I, 
I love your art and connect to it. And it's so like sassy and so fun. And like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like really a big fan and I know I can totally understand why people are. And it's really cool that it was kind of just, you were like, I'm going to just cover this up and keep the journal just like happen organically. Like what beautiful self-expression for sure. Thank you. And I forgot to say it earlier, but yes, I'm a huge Christy, Fer Christy Harrison fan as well. Love yeah. everything she puts out in the world. On your Instagram account, you describe yourself as a feisty intersectional feminist. So for those of us who aren't sure what that means, can you share with us what that means, why you're so passionate about it, and how it relates to diet culture and the artwork you make? Sure. So, you know, I think often when we, you know, think of feminism and women, um, generally in, and I'll just say in America, cause that's where we live. That's where I live. You know, um, generally in America, we think of feminism in terms of the things white women have, you know, had to overcome. Right. And, and particularly white women who are straight, cisgendered, you know, born female. And that's really such a small section of women. And if the feminism that one ascribes to only looks at white feminism, it's really not feminism, right? It's, so being intersectional means that, you know, I believe in equality and um, to empower women who were biologically born women, but also women who are not biologically born as women, um, women of color, women with disabilities, you know, I mean, just sort of the whole spectrum, women of, you know, just very various ethnicities, different religious beliefs, that sort of thing. And it feels, and it's, I get feisty about it. Like I get angry and fired up about it. That's the, you know, it's like my Midwestern word, feisty. Mm -hmm. um, so I get feisty about it because if you really only focus on white feminism, it really means that everybody else either is invisible or doesn't really matter. And I mean, our, our country really has a legacy of treating people as though they don't matter and they don't exist or they're less than, you know, really beginning with slavery, the treatment of, you know, the Native Americans who lived here. You know, it's just, it, I mean, yes, white women couldn't vote, but black women weren't even considered full human beings. Just sort of thinking about that. I mean, just, you know, the mass genocide of, you know, indigenous people, I mean, we just have this legacy of telling people the way you are is not right to be accepted and to be acceptable, you must completely change, you know, and, and I, I have to say, I had like a bit of a spiritual experience when, um, you know, I went to the Heard Museum in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's a phenomenal Native American art museum. And they had this unbelievable exhibit at the time on the Carlisle School, which was where um, natives were sent to sort of, you know, assimilate and become American. And they were essentially forced, you know, to, they were, the children were forced to attend the school in Pennsylvania and their hair was cut. Um, their skin was scrubbed with lye to lighten it. You know, they were not allowed to speak their native tongue and they couldn't eat their traditional foods. They couldn't practice any of their religions. And it's, you know, I, you know, when I saw that, I just thought like, shit, this is, I mean, this is really where it begins. Like when you look at, you know, fat phobia and 
our, you know, beauty ideals in this country, it's like, we've been doing this shit for a long time of telling people like, you are not okay as you are. You don't count. And sorry, but you know, some of us are, are on top and the, the others just don't matter. So that's what gets me really um, fired up too. And I think, you know, also, you know, having a child with a disability, having a child who is different, it's important for me to treat everybody like, you know, an equal human being. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can see. So intersectional feminism includes all human beings and all mm -hmm. women, all women and those yes. that identify as women. Absolutely. Right. So it's not this like whitewashed siloed version of right. feminism. It includes standing up for the rights of all of us, which I think is beautiful. Right. And you can see the, those historical roots. You can see the, the racist roots that are rooted in fat phobia. Absolutely. That, yes. That like a certain body type is the right ideal body type. Right. Absolutely. I mean that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the body of people of, you know, the bodies of people of color are considered sort of out of control and savage, you know, is really kind of the rooting of all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and if you, I mean, it's just, yeah, just sort of like how, you know, fitness has gotten colonized and, you know, if you look at like all the, ah, like all the ads for wellness and health, it's, you know, it's predominantly thin, able-bodied white women, you know, wearing very expensive workout wear, using very expensive equipment. It's, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's so elitist. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. very classist. It's very classist too. Very, it's very ableist and yes. classist and it's not accessible to a lot of people. No. Like $25 soul cycle classes or $30 soul cycle classes, $20 yoga classes. Like that's not right. something that everybody has the disposable income for. And you're right. Like the wellness ads, like the face of wellness is- right young, thin, and white, and super cute, and... Right. Even some of, like, the, you know, it's very well-meaning advice of, you know, like, go oh, get into nature, and I do, I love nature, you know? It's not accessible for everybody. How many people can go find a fucking forest, you know? I mean, I do, you know, I live in Massachusetts, I live in a suburb, it's easier for me, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of privilege, I realize that, and I think that's the other thing we have to look at, at is really the privilege that people walk around with, and they just think that that's normal life, right? Mm. Um, that I, you know, this is my experience, so it must be everybody else's. Mm. And it's like, no, that's, that's just not, it's not the case. It's not true. It's you, easy to assume that when that's what you see. So you see that like on a lot of our TV and sh movies and, and our TV shows that we watch and you see that in the advertisements and mm -hmm. You see that from the highlight reels of Instagram. So I think it's easy to think that it's easy to look at the world in a vacuum and not know you're in a vacuum. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You know, like it's kept from you. I think you have to seek out the fact that it's not like that for everybody. Right. And even something as simple as like being able to go hiking. Like I had a girlfriend move to another state and there's no mountains around. And she's like, well, I never realized how lucky I was to live near mountains until I didn't live near them anymore. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, That's wow. True. Yeah. Right. Never thought about that. Something as simple as that. Right. No, absolutely. Or, you know, I think about like, you know, I'm close to Boston here and, you know, kids that live, you know, in Boston, how are they going to get to the mountains? Right. You know, I mean, can their parents always say, no, you know, it's like the parents may be working. They may not be able to, they may, 
you just, you kind of have, have to take everything into account for yeah. different people. Okay. So I'd love to chat a little bit about some of your individual pieces of artwork. Oh, sure. From online, like okay. where they were inspired. Tell us your story, your personal story behind okay. these. So you had said one, one that I love, I actually shared this in my Instagram stories was recovery has a positive ripple effect. I share my gifts with the world. I take interest in the world around me. I am in reciprocal relationships. I'm free to think about things other than food in my body. I accept myself. Mm -hmm. So tell us like the, the story behind this particular piece, because I say that all of the time on the podcast that like this will have a ripple effect. Absolutely. It's absolutely true. So I feel like when I start with really taking care of myself, you know, my needs, um, treating myself with dignity and respect, the dignity and respect that I deserve, you know, that I haven't been treating myself with, um, it affects my outlook on the world around me. So, you know, if I am taking care of myself and I'm feeling less miserable, I'm going to want to reach out and connect to other people, right? I mean, I think when we're miserable, we like to sort of stay, we get stuck in our heads. And a lot of an eating disorder is really just being so self-focused and being stuck in your head. And it's not saying you're selfish, you're terrible, per I mean, you are, you know, really struggling and suffering, you know, but you, it's hard to extend beyond yourself when you're feeling that awful. So when you start to feel better, you feel like, you know, you, you cut your circle widens, right? Your comfort zone gets bigger. So I'm taking care of myself. I'm feeling a little more at ease. I'm going to extend myself a little bit more. I'm able to recognize my strengths. I'm going to use some of my, you know, gifts that I, you know, that I can acknowledge that I have and share them with the people around me. And I feel like it just sort of, it kind of goes on and on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you start with yourself and you start taking better care of yourself and then you have the capacity yes. to engage more in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This one I love too. You recently posted this one. Okay. It says all the cookies in the world won't satisfy me if my mantra is I shouldn't be eating this. Right. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. Oh my God. Okay. Tell me, tell me, tell me why. Tell me why. If you yeah. stop eating this, you'll never well, be satisfied. So I, and you know, and I remember like talking with, you know, my therapist when I had gone back into therapy, you know, about, you know, working on, you know, you sort of, you, you work on like the active, you know, no longer actively restricting, right. And to try to move toward intuitive eating. And, and I said, you know, gosh, I'm really, it's like, are you eating enough during the day? Are you, you know, feeling sated? Are you that, you know, da, 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 da. Said, yeah, I'm really feeling like I'm, I'm eating the things I enjoy. I'm eating enough. I, you know, but I felt like compelled to binge in the evenings. And I said, but you know, I don't, I eat the things I like, but I don't always feel okay about eating them. Like I'm sorry, you know, there's just sort of like that real, you know, that old tape is going up, like you shouldn't really be eating this, or you should definitely only have one of these, or, okay, if you eat this now, you are not eating this tomorrow, you know, and it's like that sort of, that reel of deprivation or planning deprivation would just sort of rev up my desire to take more and more and more. And it just, I couldn't feel satisfied or I couldn't feel like at ease or at peace with, you know, what I was eating. Yeah. 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 So I, I totally think being full and being satisfied are two different things. Mm -hmm. 
And when you're mentally telling yourself you can't have something, you're not allowing your body to experience pleasure. So it's right. going to be hard to feel satisfied. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and it wasn't, and I think I wrote about this too, like in the, you know, in the caption of that piece, but you know, it's not just saying, um, okay, I can't have those thoughts anymore. <laughs> Go away thoughts. You know, it's not just sort of like the cognitive, like restructure, but it's really looking at the root of why do you have these beliefs around this food is bad for me. I can only have one, you know, all of, you know, just sort of the, the trickle down of that. And for me, it really was just still having this overwhelming fear of gaining weight, mm. putting on fat, you know, and um, my size changing and all of that. And so just coming to terms with that, like, why am I so scared of weight gain? What is so terrifying about being larger? What, you know, and so breaking down and really looking at my own fat phobia, mm -hmm. but I'm still, you know, carrying around with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So gaining weight is in my experience, the most intense fear that anyone who's currently struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating, who's wanting to get better and recover. And that's their biggest fear. That's like one of the biggest barriers and hurdles. Yes. So you had shared with us a little bit of like how you were able to do that, but like digging deeper, like, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid to eat the cookie because I'm afraid of gaining weight. Why am I afraid of gaining weight? What's my own internalized fat phobia? Right. What were some of the things that helped you make peace with the possibility of gaining weight or of getting bigger? Like what were some of the things that supported you in moving through the fear instead of having it keep you where you were? You know, I looked a lot at, you know, sort of like the genetics of my family and, you know, I am Polish, German and Slovenian and we're from Wisconsin and, you know, every like five, eight, I mean, and, you know, I have a sister that's over six feet tall and, you know, we're not really, you know, very small people. And, you know, so just sort of kind of the radical acceptance of, you know, I'm not ever going to be somebody who is built like, I don't even know, I'm afraid I'm going to say somebody and I'm going to date myself like crazy. Like Christy Yamaguchi. Do you even know who that is? Okay, yeah, so <laughs> that was like a figure skater from like when I was, I think I was in my teens, 20s maybe, and she was like this phenomenal figure skater, Christy Yamaguchi. But like, I'm never gonna have that body size. It's just not my, I'm not predisposed to that, right? So um, looking at the people in my family and also just looking at the, the people who I just hold really dear to me, you know, in my life and, do their bodies really matter to me? And they really don't, you know? Um, you know, I like that I can hug them. I like that I, you know, get to sit next to them. I like that I get to share a meal with them, but it's like, that's really as far as it goes. I don't, you know, um, make them get on scales and go like, oh, well, I'm not gonna be very nice to you today. I don't like you so much because uh, it's not a good number. You know, I mean, that's, so just sort of thinking about what really matters as a human being it really doesn't matter if I take up more space. Like really, it does not. It doesn't change, you know, my values. It doesn't change my personality. It doesn't change my ability to enjoy the things I enjoy or to do the things I like to do. And I think it was just really getting, really getting very blunt, like with myself. Yeah, that's what, that's what I think helped. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, radical acceptance of just mm-hmm. like, okay, this is the body that I have. And right. then I loved how you said you just like start, you thought to yourself, what do I love about other people? And do I love them based on what they look like and based on their body size and realizing that's not why you love them allows right. you to see that that's probably not why they love you either. Right. And right. there's peace in that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I loved my Polish grandmother, you know, who for much of my, you know, childhood was in a wheelchair. Um, and I loved my Slovenian grandma, you know, who, you know, was, you know, able-bodied and, you know, but it wasn't based on, you know, their physical characteristics at all. So I think, you know, and I think as women, that is really hard because I think we do measure ourselves so much, you know, with appearance and size and, uh, you know, there's just so much tied up into it, right? Like how we, you know, we, we think we can guess somebody's health status, right? Somebody's health state just by looking at them and, one, you can't, and two, it's none of your fucking business, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, you're not going to ask somebody for the, you know, their labs, right? I mean, that's, that's just not your business. I mean, and some people really don't care about their health, and you know what? It's totally their choice, and that's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. see yeah. how I can get feisty? I get a little fired up. Yeah, no, it's good, man. Okay. <laughs> get fired up. I've definitely had some, like, rant rantful episodes so it's all yeah. Yeah, you're in good company great um, so just looking at the what you had said like we're programmed as women to really value what we look like i don't think it's inherent i don't no. think that women inherently place their worth on what they look like right. like it's not some like part of our dna i think it's like cultural programming to me yeah we're definitely socialized to do that yeah yeah. And I think realizing that we are socialized to do that supports you in like deprogramming yourself of stepping yeah. into that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Being able to have that awareness around it. One last piece of your artwork I'd love to kind of dissect and chat about. And everybody listening, like you have to go to Healing Crans on Instagram to, to check these out. Okay. So you said you don't have to be medically compromised for an eating disorder to suck the life out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty much my twenties. <laughs> Your whole twenties, yeah. I mean, not you know, definitely chunks of my twenties for sure. You know where I, you know, was kind of walking around, and everybody would have thought like, oh, she looks, you know, fine slash healthy slash great like whatever. But you know, just like in my head, I just felt terrible. Right. I wasn't medically compromised. I, I'd go for my physicals. I, you know, I'd be fine, but I, I was not in the best place. I was not very happy. I was definitely, you know, measuring how much I liked myself based, you know, often on how clothes would fit or how much I exercised that week or, you know, how much I weighed, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's one more opportunity to really drive home that you can't tell if someone has an eating disorder by looking at no. them. No. Right. And like eating disorders don't have a look. No, not at all. Um, you know, when you look in the DSM, right, it's, it's such a narrow um, definition of what, you know, what anorexia is. What, I mean, now they have added, you know, binge eating disorder and purging disorder and all, you know, different variations. But um, you know, they describe atypical anorexia as somebody not being physically underweight, but really atypical anorexia is people being 
emaciated is like is the old definition right that it's much more typical for people with anorexia to not be significantly underweight i mean we essentially <clears throat> prescribe anorexia for you know people in larger bodies right i mean some of these diets are like just you know outrageous. i mean all diets i hate all diets okay i'm just gonna say it but you know like what you know what is prescribed in you know magazines by physicians and ugh, you know it's really essentially an eating disorder yeah yeah, we prescribe, we, we, pers- we low key, high key prescribe eating disorders to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, something that would be diagnosed as an eating disorder in a really thin person would be prescribed to a person in the larger body. Right. Yeah, it's incredibly problematic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one of the reasons why I really loved this, loved this, this piece of art in particular, I mean, I love them all. And this one really spoke to me because I think so many of us have this idea that like, we're not sick enough. Right. Yeah. And like, I truly believe that if your relationship with food in your body is interfering in your life negatively in any degree that you're sick enough to get help, you deserve help and disordered relationships with food have a negative ripple effect in your life. Just like healing can have a positive. Absolutely. Right. Ripple effect. So I think that's just an important message for anybody listening of like, there is no such thing as not sick enough. And if, and even if you don't quote, look anorexic, that doesn't mean you're not struggling. doesn't mean it's not valid. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Right. You know, and I think so often that is the eating disorder actually dictating, you know, and, and talking, you know, when, when we're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not sick enough. I shouldn't really, I'm the biggest one in treatment or, you know, it's like, no, it doesn't, it does not matter. Right. I mean, you know, I didn't wait till I had cirrhosis before I quit drinking, you know? So I mean, yeah. 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 Like I, we don't have to, you don't have to hit rock bottom for you to right. want to get better, you know? And I think often right. when we think that we're not sick enough, my, my business coach, Kiara Mizuko always says that a lot of us will hover over rock bottom. And so when we have this idea of like, I'm not sick enough and like you are struggling and and daily life is hard, eating is difficult and challenging and you're thinking about it all of the time, but you're like, I'm not sick enough to get help or it's not that bad. You're hovering over rock bottom, right? And you're like one incredibly, like you're not that far away from getting to a place that's, that's exponentially more difficult to climb out of and you don't have to get there. Right. To reach out for help, you know? And so- I hope we're, I, I know that someone who's listening needed to hear this today. So no, absolutely. Thanks for having it. Okay. So a couple of like rapid fire questions for yes. you to wrap Favorite up. color, orange. Okay. okay. <laughs> Favorite color, orange. Yes. Orange. Yeah. Favorite quote. Oh, okay. I know it's hard to pick a fave. So like a, one you love. <laughs> okay. So this one I love. I have it written down. Okay. And it's by, it's a little bit long. It's by Virginia Satir, who was the mother of family therapy. And she was also from Wisconsin. So I love that too. Um, and it is, I want you to get excited about who you are, what you are, what you have, and what can still be for you. I want to inspire you to see that you can go far beyond where you are right now. Mm, I love that. Big time. Yeah. 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 I was thinking it'd be like five sentences long. You're like, it's kind of long. I was like, <laughs> that's 
not long. <laughs> okay, and okay, if I have another like short one, it's um, be the change you wish to see in the world. I mean, and that was really why one that that also too helped me with you know losing the fear of gaining weight, right? Like I want to be the change I want to see in the world. I want to see people not being scared of putting weight on. I want to see people not being scared of eating meals. Um, I want to pe I want to I want to be um, a person who is not scared to overeat at times. It happens. It's life. Um, you know, and also that's why I started making the art because it's a way to be the change I want to see in the world. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So, so important and so powerful. You know, uh, Jessica from Holy Healed had this post a couple of weeks ago saying that like, when you talk the way that you speak about your body and the way you feel about your body, whether we're aware of it or not consciously or unconsciously, we're, we're then setting that precedent for other people. We're almost making the assumption that anyone that looks like us or who's bigger than us is all of the negative things that we say about ourselves. So how we talk to ourselves lays the foundation for how we talk about other people. Absolutely. And ripple effect. Yep. Yeah. And we will, we, we will kind of say that that's not true. We'll be like, no, I don't judge other people harshly. But then you're sitting here calling yourself negatively and using fat right. as a word to describe like gross, disgusting, ugly. And what right. you don't realize is that by default, you're then saying that about other people who are fat or in larger bodies. And so Absolutely. You making peace with your body and no longer thinking that like fat is a bad word or that weight gain is bad or that being in a larger body is bad. You're being that change for other people. You're being a safe space for other people too. Right. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in being the change too. Love that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. What advice do you have for your 20 year old self? Some part oh, of boy. <laughs> Go to therapy now. <laughs> Don't wait. Just keep going. You know, I think I really, you know, I did, I hovered, I hovered in that, like just recovered enough space where I think a lot of people do end up after treatment, you know, and I kind of, you know, kept my finger on the pulse of diet culture, you know, just to stay healthy. And that's, it's just really a way of dieting. I mean, it's just really a way of like trying to control your body and everything else. Yeah. To my 20 year old self, I would have said, you know, go see someone so you can manage your depression, your anxiety, and um, really talk about the fears that you have around your body. Mm. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Wise advice. Good advice. Right. <laughs> yeah. This was amazing, Therese. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can everybody find you? Yes. You can find me at Healing Crayons, all lowercase, all one word on Instagram. Yeah. Great handle, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Healing Crayons. It's like so perfect for what your account is about. Just came to me. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really fantastic. So everybody listening, definitely follow Therese Healing Crayons on Instagram. Her artwork is phenomenal. And thank you for creating it and for sharing it with the world. I know it is helping so many people and I'm so happy that I came across you on the internet. Oh, thank you so much, Kara. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wait, don't go yet. Was this episode helpful? Did you get a lot out of it? If so, 
the most helpful thing you can do in return is to leave a ratings and review on iTunes or share it in your Instagram stories, or you can send this link directly to a friend who you think would benefit as well. I would be so grateful if you would leave a ratings and review. It really helps the podcast reach more people. This podcast has only grown because of your guys' sharing, and it always means so much to me when I see that. So if you got a lot out of, out of today, please do that. And if you are interested in learning more about the topics that Therese and I talk about today, feminism, racism, diet culture, internalized fat phobia, and freeing yourself from these things and being the change, then I want to invite you to go enroll in Embodied Rebel because it is a deep dive into all of these topics. And these topics will profoundly change the way you feel about yourself, about the world, and about other people. And you'll really walk away feeling free and empowered and comfortable and confident in your skin, in your body. So if you are interested and you want to take this education further, take these topics further such that they really change your life and you enter 2020 in an empowered place in your body, then go sign up for Embodied Rebel. Like I mentioned, it's an independent study, self-paced course, and it is really powerful. Um, Okay, that's all I have to say. Happy holidays, and I will see you guys next week for another incredible episode on the Love Your Bod Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in.